Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. Soon, it will be one of the spiritually darkest days of the year, Halloween. I'm sure that parents out there will go through difficult times with their kids' requests on what costumes they would like to wear, and how many times they will change their decisions. There are probably many of you out there thinking, how do we get through Halloween as Christians? Halloween. What is Halloween to all of you? If you are in retail business, it is one of the most important days to make money. Many adults believe that it is a day made for children to dress up and go from house to house asking for candy and not thinking much of it. The young children are tempted by those sweet treats as they go from house to house asking for enough candy that will last them through the year, chanting, trick or treat. Many of the young adults get dressed up in dark costumes, walking around acting like the dark spirits that they are dressed up as, and they spend the night drinking alcohol and participating in immoral acts. First, let us hear what God has to say about this evil custom that originally came here from Ireland. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22, Paul says, Abstain from every form of evil. But in today's world, people are trying their best to abide by these evil customs instead of doing away with them. In addition, countries that have nothing to do with this tradition, such as Asia, have adopted this custom and are now celebrating this evil day instead of doing away with it as the Bible tells us to do. One can say that it is like Valentine's Day, made up by the retail market to make more money. However, Halloween is not a day to pass off as just getting dressed up and celebrating with parties and collecting candy from neighbors because there is a danger of spiritual threat to all of us. We'll continue this discussion right after our first song. We bow our hearts We bend our knees Oh Spirit, come make us humble Turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks Who seeks your face Oh God of Jacob Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks Who seeks your face
our hands to God and ask them give us clean hands give us pure hearts and let us not lift our souls to another give us clean hands oh God and give us pure hearts and let us not lift our souls to another God, let's be a generation that sees, who sees your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God, let's be a generation that sees, who sees your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God of Jacob. What are the spiritual threats behind Halloween? A while back, I was intrigued by the title of a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin, Tricked by Treat. It was a sermon done by Pastor Mark Martin in the year 2002, sometime around Halloween. I remember a statement made by Pastor Mark when he said, In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Satan came dressed as a serpent to tempt Eve by knocking on her heart and saying, Trick or treat! It is through Satan's temptation that she opened her heart to sin. Satan is still knocking on our hearts every day, tempting us to sin. Pastor Mark also taught us how to go through Halloween today as Christians by reading Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3-11. to But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. We often believe that light and darkness fight like good and evil. However, when light approaches darkness, darkness is not able to fight against light and moves away. Even though darkness does not want to move away, when light comes its way, it has no choice but to move away. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives as the light, the darkness in our lives moves away. Are any of you still living in darkness? Or are there still shadows of darkness looming around your lives? If some of you are experiencing this, 
it can mean that you have not become the children of light yet. How can there be any darkness in our lives if Jesus Christ, the light, is part of our lives? We must find out where our faith lies in our lives. After talking about the origin and history of Halloween, Pastor Mark said this, If you are not familiar with the history of Halloween and have no desire to know the origin, then judge by the fruits of the holiday portrayed today. What does Halloween say to us about God? What does it say about Jesus? What does it tell us about love? Does Halloween teach us to love each other? Does Halloween witness Jesus Christ as our Savior? Does Halloween praise our holy God? How do you think we can please God who has sent us to the light of world? As it says in Ephesians, we must not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. We must act like the children of light.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Grace and the Holy Spirit, Part 1, based on Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. We like security. We like things lined up and just knowing we're safe. I mean, that's why we're in Simi Valley. It's like, okay, safety, you know, it's going to be the same thing today, tomorrow, everything else. Um, and sometimes we run from faith when those are the times when you really experience God. At least I found that in my life. I, I want to ask you a question and, and just forget that we're in church right now. This is just forget that I'm a pastor, forget you're sitting in a church. Just from one human being to another human being, just honestly, I want to ask you a question. Are you sure... That there have been times in your life when you've experienced the hand of God. Like something supernatural where you go, there's no way that was coincidence. You can't convince me that's coincidence. I know that was God. Have you had experiences like that in your life? See, I, I have. I feel like I, I do all the time. It's a little awkward for me to be talking about this because you got to understand in school, I was taught not to ever preach about your experiences and not to emphasize experience. But when I read scripture, I feel like that's so unbiblical. Biblically, we are supposed to experience God. We are. In the Bible, when someone received the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit was in their life, no one had to tell them that the Holy Spirit was in their life. See, and that's not what I was taught growing up. Growing up in church, you know, I remember becoming a Christian. And uh, I remember, you know, this evangelist preaching, you know, hellfire brimstone. I was like, ah, it saved me. You know, and I, I just, you know, I, I had to go for it. And and I remember just uh, this little old lady was counseling me. And uh, I go, so that's it? And she goes, yeah. And uh, what, what, I said, what, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in you? And she goes, oh, oh, nothing. She goes, you just need to know that he's there. And I said, so no experience, nothing. You just intellectually know that he's there. And I don't see that in the Bible. 
I don't. I gotta show me where that is in the Bible because I, even even last week I, I I went to my concordance and I looked up every single verse on the Holy Spirit, and I just read through every verse in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And every verse, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, just talks about this change, this experience. Like, you know when the Spirit of God is in your life. I mean, you know there are things that happen that are just supernatural. And you go, okay, I know that is God. You don't have to tell me. I don't need someone to show me theologically that the Holy Spirit, show me biblically and prove to me the Holy Spirit really is in my life. Man, I know He's in my life because of everything that I've experienced. Man, in fact, you could take away all the proof. You could take away all of the, the, the head knowledge and everything else. And, and I believe in this book a lot because I, I studied the prophecy. I, I, and I go, man, that's got to be from God. I look at the history of this book and everything else and the way it's changed my life. But take that away. Take away the head knowledge. And I would still believe in God because of everything that I've experienced. Man, when I pray, when I ask God for stuff, I don't know what it's like when you pray. I don't know if you get surprised that God actually answers you. But for me, I get surprised if it's been a few minutes, you know. And I mean, because there's this, this, this pattern, there's this system. And, and, and when I pray to God, I see answers. I see results where I go, okay, that was clearly God. No one is going to tell me that that was just coincidence. It just happens. It happens. It happens. And, and every time when there's a few days and I'm going, wait a second, I prayed for that. I'm not seeing a clear answer. That surprises me. See, I, I, my faith in God, so much of it is because of what I've experienced. Now, I recognize it's true that we can't base everything on feelings and experiences because we can be fooled. But to just downplay this whole idea of experience, I think, is, is anti-biblical. In fact, Paul here in Galatians 3, when he's uh, talking to the Galatians, and they're thinking about, they're, they, they've, many of them have left their faith. They've left this simple faith of just believing in God and experiencing the Holy Spirit. And now they're being tested and tempted. And uh, many of them have turned over to this new system of law where they try to obey all these laws and all these rules and kind of earn their salvation by doing all of these things. And Paul's going, why would you leave that? And he reminds them of their experience. He reminds them, he goes, don't you remember when you just accepted Jesus and, and all these things started happening? He goes, why would you leave that? He goes, you remember what you experienced. And uh, I, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it's, it's, it's like Paul, um, I, I love the way he starts it because uh, he's so baffled by this. He's going, why would anyone leave this? Galatians 3, verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians. That word foolish, it, it, it means uh, it, it means void of knowledge, like you have no knowledge, like you're brain dead. He, he looks at these people and he goes, what are you, brain dead? And, and then, then his next statement's even better. He goes, who has bewitched you? He goes, did someone cast a spell on you? He goes, because this is kind of freaking me out. What, what, what's happening here? Are you guys brain dead? Or, or did someone hypnotize you? Are you under some sort of spell? Are you in a trance here? He, he says, he goes, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by, be, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? 
After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? He's saying to these guys over and over again, he goes, are you really that dumb? He goes, think about it. Here you were. You believed. All you did was believe, right? He goes, you believed by faith. You believed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And he goes, and what happened? The spirit came into you, didn't he? The spirit came into you and you began to perform miracles. Crazy things started happening. And he goes, why did God give you his spirit? He goes, was it because you observed the law so well? He goes, no, because you believed. And he goes, then why on earth, if God gave you his spirit and you experienced him and you know him, why on earth would you leave that and now go to the system of works and the system of law and go, well, I want to do this, 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 this. And you've left this believing by faith. And this trusting in faith that gave you the Holy Spirit and you're turning to this whole system of works. It's hard though, isn't it hard to keep living by faith? You know how you can have faith one moment or one hour or one day and then a few days later you just you get a little scared of it. Even though God's come through over and over and over again and you've experienced his power, you experienced his spirit, there's still that human tendency where we don't like faith. We don't like it. Well, what it is, is we don't like to have to depend on anyone else, even God. I, I want to I want to have control over everything. I want to make sure that I have myself set up, even if God doesn't come through. Rather than just living in the moment and doing what God wants me to do right now and trusting that he's going to come through for me later as long as I'm faithful today. I I don't want to keep having faith. It's hard. And so what these people did is even in their belief system, I mean, you think about it. Aren't there times when it's difficult to have faith and you want to even take your salvation into your own hands? And it sounds so noble to try to do a bunch of good works just in case we're wrong about the cross. You know, because think about it. What if we're wrong? What if the cross isn't enough? Think about this seriously. What if the cross is not enough? What if God really did want us to work our way to heaven and do it through good works? And then we're in this room going, I thought the cross was enough. I thought Jesus was going to be enough. I thought that he died and saved me and everything else. What if we're wrong? See, and that's what these Galatians start thinking. And so they start going to this works type system and trying to take things, take matters into their own hands. But Paul's saying, that's stupid. He goes, what are you, brain dead? What are you, what are you, under a trance, under a spell? Someone hypnotized you? He goes, think about it. If you've experienced the Holy Spirit, doesn't that show you that God's approval is on you? Doesn't it show you that just by believing God would put his very spirit into you? Isn't that enough for you? And so then he goes on. He goes, and if that's not enough, he goes, think about what the Bible says, because it's so important. I don't want to base everything on feelings and experience, but our feelings and experiences ought to be confirmed in Scripture. And so Paul goes to the scriptures and he explains them. Look, your experience was very biblical. And he says in verse six, 
He says, consider Abraham. He takes him to the Old Testament. Remember Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jews. Abraham was, you know, every Jewish person respected Abraham so much. And what Paul said is, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him. Now he starts quoting Old Testament passages. He says, what does the scripture say? Scriptures say that Abraham believed God. It doesn't say that Abraham observed the law and was doing everything right. So God says, okay, then you're righteous. You know why? Because you've obeyed the law so well. No, what the scripture says is the opposite of that. He says, Abraham believed it's because of his faith in God. And it says that God credited to him. See what it says there? Verse six, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you understand the word credited? Credited means to put into someone's account. It was just placed in there. That's like if I figured out, I found your bank account number. And then tomorrow morning, I go to the bank and I put $20,000 into your account. It's not going to happen. But but let's just say that's the idea of crediting is is you go to the bank the next day and you, you know, withdraw your 20 bucks or whatever. And you look at the slip and go, what? Someone just put 20 grand into my account. Someone just put it in there. That's this word here. Credited. See, and what the Bible says is, he says, he goes, look, this is all, this is the way it's always been ever since the Old Testament. Abraham, you know, Father Abraham, many sons, you know, he, Abraham, he believed. And by believing, just by believing, God credits to him, just puts into his account perfect righteousness. So in other words, God would look at Abraham and go, wow, he's, he's holy. I just put this holiness, he's holy in my eyes. But it wasn't anything that Abraham earned. It was something he believed in. So he's telling his Galatians, so why are you going to the system of works if, if Abraham was a, was a believer and his belief is what got him there? It was his faith. And uh, in verse 7, he says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. See, it was a, a, a very high... Uh, Mark, it was kind of a status symbol, this whole idea of, I am a Jew, I am a child of Abraham. Okay? But Jesus explains, and Paul explains, that just because you're born into a nationality doesn't mean anything. In Romans 9, Paul says, just because you're in Israel, or just because you're an Israelite, doesn't make you true Israel. There's a true Israel. They're the true children of God. In the same way, it's real interesting because in John chapter 8, it's a good passage to read sometime. Um, and you know, now's a good time. There's time for everything. Let's just read this one. I, I haven't been doing this, but I, I like this passage. John, uh, John 8. Let's look at verse, we'll start at verse 39. In John 8, verse 39. These people are saying, Abraham is our father, they answered. And then Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things that Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. 
And then they go, we're not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Okay, listen to this. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and now I am here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. (laughs) That's pretty strong. I mean, Jesus does not mess around. He says, he goes, oh, you think you're, you're, that Abraham's your father. You think God's your father. No, you know who your dad is? The devil. <laughs> wow. He goes, you know why? I can tell by your actions. I, I don't care what you say you are. I look at your actions and I go, no, you, your, your father must be the devil because you're, you're acting just like him. And in the same way, he says, if if Abraham truly was your father, it's more than this blood lineage. It's about the way you act, the way you live. And here in Galatians 3, he's saying, look, if you guys are true children of Abraham, true children of Abraham are not trying to observe the law and earn their righteousness. That's not what Abraham did. True children of Abraham would have faith in God and his provision just like Abraham did. He says, so you're not really being children of Abraham. And so when uh, we'll go back to Galatians three, he uh, he explains, look, in verse eight, again, he's quoting Old Testament, showing that it's not just about experience. It's experience is backed up by scripture. Verse eight, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He says, look, this is the way it's always been. In fact, he told Abraham, look, you're going to be a father to many nations. In fact, it's through your lineage that the whole world is going to be blessed. All nations are going to be blessed because of you. And he says, see, this was all told ahead of time. And the whole reason was, was out of his lineage would come Jesus, would come the Christ, would come the seed. And we're going to look about, look at that a a little bit later. But the whole idea is he's saying, look, God has always ordained faith. He has never taught that you were going to earn your way into heaven. That's not the way Abraham lived his life. And it's not the way we live our life today. So why in the world would you go to this system of works and try to do it on your own? And then the climax of it is in verse 10. He, he starts, he's, he really goes at him here. Verse 10, he says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse it is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Okay, if you don't if you don't like looking at your experience in the Holy Spirit and showing you that God had the favor on that, okay. And if you're you're not going to look at Abraham and go, okay, well, well, Abraham lived by faith, and so if I want to follow him, I want to be a person of faith. If that's not good enough for you, he goes, you need to understand something. If you are going to try to earn your way into heaven, then you are literally under a curse. See, it's, it, this is so hard for us to hear, and I'm sure it was back then too. People don't really change. And when you read scripture, don't you realize that? People have been people all along. They've thought the same way. They've done the same things. You know, we think, oh, we've got this new way of thinking. 
it's, it's all been done. Okay, back then there were people that said, no, I'm going to be a good person. And if I do enough good, God is going to recognize that and let me into heaven. It's always been that way. And that's why Paul had to 2,000 years ago remind them, look, if you're going to try to earn your way into heaven by doing good stuff, you're actually going to do the opposite and put yourself under a curse. He says, because ever since the beginning, again, he quotes scripture, that everyone who's relying on obeying the law, unless you obey it perfectly, you're going to be cursed. I mean, that's the way law works. Once you break the law, guess what? There's a punishment. But officer, I haven't sped for 20 years. This is my first time, really. Doesn't matter. You, you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The moment you break it, you're going to be under a penalty, under a curse. And the Bible says, look, if that's what you rely on. Now, it doesn't mean that we take the laws and the word of God and say, oh, they're all stupid. I don't need to worry about them. It's, it's not talking about, you know, that it's not a good thing to try to obey God's law. What it says is all who rely. It's when you rely on it and believe that that's what's going to save you. He goes, then you're going to be under a curse. In fact, he says in the next verse, he says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. He's saying no one, no human being. Think about this. For those of you in this room that are thinking, no, I'm going to do this, do this, do this. What the Bible says is no one in history has pulled it off. No one in history has pulled off being this good person to where I obey the law all of the time, obey all the laws of God, and you're going to be the first. That's what you're saying. And so biblically, I know the Bible says that God looks down and no one's been able to pull it off, but I'm really good. <laughs> he says no one's been able to do it. No one's been able to obey this law. And so those who rely on it and still try he says, you're going to be under the same curse that everyone else fell under. Of this pride, this arrogance of I can do it, I don't need God. I can pull it off. I don't need His grace. I don't need to believe in Him. I'm just going to do it on my own. He goes, oh, you're going to be under the curse everyone else was under. But then he says, verse 11 at the end, he says, the righteous will live by faith. What's going to cause us to be alive? It's faith. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. But verse 13 is key. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, then he says Christ redeemed us. Open my eyes and see that you're shaking. 
just what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life give me Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries awaits for your participation in the listener survey. Your opinion is highly valued. All gathered information will be for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries. You may participate by completing the questionnaire survey delivered to your address or online at www.heartandsoul.org. Our return address for the paper survey is P.O. Box 54. Five nine, Glendale, Arizona, eight five three one two. This survey ends October thirty first. We await for your participation and thank you for your input. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. We have now spent four weeks learning about the Sermon on the Mount. The first week I explained what the Sermon on the Mount is, and in the second week we studied the first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. We have looked at Jesus' promised blessings upon those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are gentle. Through these messages, I hope we have been checking ourselves to see if we are coming before God with a broken and humble heart, if we are mourning over and repenting of our sin, and if we are becoming more gentle through the Holy Spirit. Today we will continue with the Beatitudes and learn about the fourth blessing. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
It is people's basic desire to feel hunger and thirst in order to live. However, Jesus is not speaking about physical hunger in the scripture passage. It is God's people who are governed by Jesus that will experience a spiritual hunger that needs to be filled. I believe you are familiar with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 in the Bible, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What all these things are is listed in verses 25 and 31. It includes what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will put on, and more things that we need in order to preserve our physical lives and to protect our bodies. He is telling us not to worry about them and to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Our Father God knows what our needs are even before we ask it. Foreigners who do not believe God ask for material things, but God's people should always first seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. Then God will provide for our basic needs and more. So then, what is righteousness? Righteousness in the Bible is based on God's nature and means an absolute righteousness. It's not a relative righteousness that can be seen right from one side and seen wrong from another. We cannot complete such perfect and absolute righteousness by ourselves. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. Many people try to claim themselves righteous by following the commandments. However, Romans chapter 3 verses 21 and 22 says that God's righteousness is manifested through the faith of those who believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, we do not have righteousness, but through the faith of believing in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness reaches us. We know our true selves when we see God's righteousness and His holiness. We see where we stand, and then realization, hunger, and thirst surge within us. We begin to aspire God's righteousness. People who were not manifested with God's righteousness would never be able to understand or experience such aspirations. God's people begin to seek after God himself and not the worldly or material things. Psalms 63, 1-2 says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Here the writer of Psalms does not seek God to do something for him or to fill his physical needs. Instead, he aspires God himself. His eyes look upon God and his soul is thirsty for God. What did Jesus promise to bless these people with? They are blessed because they will be satisfied. Psalms chapter 107 verse 9 says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. God is the only one who can fill up and quench the thirst of those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. God will not disregard those people and will come near to them and fill them with goodness. He will satisfy their souls. So do hunger and thirst for righteousness go away once it is filled by God? Will there be no more desire for righteousness anymore? When we look back on our spiritual lives, we know that it's not so. Hunger and thirst do not begin and end all at once. Spiritual hunger constantly occurs, and we constantly experience God's blessing of filling us up. In the first week, I have said that we experience these blessings now, 
and they will be completed later in the future. The blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is the same. That is why the Bible says that we will not be hungry and thirsty for righteousness ever again on the day we meet our glorious Jesus. Jesus, our shepherd, will guide us to springs of water of life. In Revelation 7:16 through 17 it says, They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and we will be living in the place full of God's righteousness. There is one more important thing to know regarding God's righteousness. It's that God's righteousness does not just remain in our one-on-one relationship with God. It doesn't only include our salvation, but it also includes righteousness in the community and society as well. The commandments that God gave to Moses didn't just include things related to God, the Israelites, and the rules and regulations for those people as a community. Commandments such as, You shall have no other gods before me, or you shall not make for yourself an idol, are related to relationships between God and us. However, commandments such as how to redeem neighbors' stolen property or how to carry out a trial fairly are about rules for the people of Israel and foreigners in their society. God tells his people to be just and fair in their society and to look after the neglected. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Amos chapter 5 verses 21 through 24 says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It is saying that God will not accept the burnt offerings if they do not act justly and be righteous towards others. Some people might think, well, it's already hard enough to keep up with my faith, so how can I care about others in the world? They feel heavy with the pressure of their day-to-day life, much less caring about others in the world. But the scripture doesn't mean that we do certain things to change the world on our own. Acting with a desire of following God's words on justice and fairness depends on whether we have God's teachings kept in our hearts or not. A part of Isaiah in chapter 51, verse 1, verses 4 and 5, and verse 7 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, and pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me, and for my arm they will wait expectantly. And listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not feel the reproach of man 
nor be dismayed at their revelings. Our God with perfect righteousness governs with justice. God does not only care about each and everyone's salvation, but also the righteousness of our society as a whole. God's people should be open to what God cares about and devote themselves to be hungry for righteousness in their society. Just as we grieve over not only our sin, but also the sins of others in the world, God's people aspire for God's presence and righteousness, not only in their spiritual lives, but also in the world. They are acknowledged as those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and are blessed because they will be satisfied by God. Today we talked about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and about those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and the blessings to them. Next week, we will go over verse 7. I pray that we come near to Jesus who said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Thank you for listening, and please join me next time as we continue our series with the Sermon on the Mount.
God commands us in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things to the Lord, your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. God tells us that He will not allow believers to practice these kinds of acts. I know that there are some parents living in the world today that say, How can I not let my child do this when all the other children are participating in Halloween? I don't want them to feel left out. Some of you can even say that it's not too bad when you don't really believe in this stuff, and that your children only dress up in princess and Disney outfits instead of the evil-looking costumes out there. But can you think about who it is that puts those kinds of thoughts in your head? Will God ever say to us, yes, just that much is okay? Or is it Satan that tells us that? God tells us to remove evil of everything from our lives. Why do we have to be tempted by a worldly festivity? We must listen to God and remove all forms of evil from our lives and actually go out there to speak about love and faith. We must not participate in the acts of darkness but to actually expose them. Do not be tempted by Satan who tries to trick us by wearing a mask. Don't let your children fall into the hands of darkness. Your children are first the children of God. There is someone else that is knocking at your hearts today. Revelations chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and to him and will dine with him, and he with me. Open your hearts and listen to Jesus' calling instead of listening to the words of Satan. This ends our Unity in Christ program today. I hope that you all go through the week as children of God, being able to recognize sin that tries to creep into our days and driving out all the darkness in your lives with the light of God. I hope to see all of you again next week. Until then, God bless. When waters rise all around me When mountains stand in the path I see I look to love that's unfading That is all I need Oh, crawl, crawl upon the name Jesus Christ, the only name I say For there is no one like our God 
There's no one like our God. There's nothing that can stand against you. There's no stronghold you can break. No life that you can save. Our God, you never Nothing that can stand up 